be seated. Thank you, sir. Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. Amen. I, um, I'm grateful today for the opportunity to stand before you. I <clears throat> want to take a moment, and I'm, I know that my time is limited, and we'll get to that part in just a moment. But uh, I want to say, along with my wife, how thankful I am for the church and the opportunity that God has given us to serve here. Um, over the last few days, actually the last few weeks, there has been a little bit of nostalgia that has crept into my thinking, and my wife has shown me some pictures of where we've been and where we are today, and I am very grateful for that. I, I want to begin first by saying how thankful I am for the greatest gift other than the Holy Ghost that God gave me, and that was my wife. Amen. My wife grew up in a very large church, and I came from a, a much smaller setting, and uh, she married me and accepted the call that was on my life and submitted to going wherever God would take us. And uh, he took us to some interesting places. Uh, the first revival that we preached when we were a married couple, there were more people sitting on the pew, the row in her church where she came from than was in that entire church. She has never complained. She never said anything. We have slept in bed with fleas and not because we wanted to, but uh, just because that was the setting that we found ourselves in. And somehow God helped us uh, to find uh, a ministry and a purpose. And I am so indebted to that. And my children, I am indebted to them. She said it so well. They have been here from day one. I was talking to my daughter last night. The day, the week that I received the call uh, to come to this area. She had turned 13, and she was so excited because we had settled them down. I was still traveling, but they were settled, and they were going to Life Tabernacle, and she had turned 13, and she was going to get to join the youth group. And the very next week, I was voted in here, and she was taken out of that environment into a place where she and Ryan were basically the only two young people that came to church. And they've been here all that time. Now, there's been a lot of people that have come and gone, and I, I don't want anybody to get the idea that we know all the, what we're doing. We don't. But I'm grateful that they have stood with us and been beside us. Amen. And I, we, we are grateful for all of those. I want our trustees, the, our trustees, I don't know if all of them are here, Brother Brown, Brother Long, uh, I know there's some others, Brother Eldon Moore, uh, Brother Buddy. Would you all stand? I want you to see my brother Charles. All, I think they are here. Amen. I want you to give these men... 
great big hand of applause. I, I, I will tell you this unequivocally. I trust my life in their hands. And I can't say that of all men. But I do trust my life in their hands. They have been the most faithful, supportive. Uh, they have their uh, ideas and opinions. But we always leave together with one mind. And I will tell you that that has been a great peace for me as a pastor for 29 years. Now, the only person that I'm aware of in this building that may have been here, Brother Brown, when did you come to Greater Life? Or back then, Life Tabernacle, Clear Lake? All right. So he's been here 28 years. Other than that, Sister uh, Bay and Gay came in the first six months, I think, that we were there. They, somebody ran into them at the store and... Uh, invited them. They had just moved to Houston. And uh, other than that, we have uh, rel- most everybody that was in that original group, all of them have fairly much died off. And yet, uh, you, you look back on all of those things and you are so thankful. When I got home last night, I was so overwhelmed when I walked in the house, I just started praising God for all that He had given us and all that He had done. I couldn't help, uh, I was uncontrollable because. God has been so good to all of us, not just me, not just because I'm here, but because of God's goodness. And I want to thank all of you for standing with us, all of you. Um, I, I never have made a claim to be the perfect pastor or the perfect person, and uh, you have borne that. Uh, Brother Tenney used to say this, that the further you climb up a flagpole, the more people see you're behind. And as you get elevated in pastoral ministry and different things, uh, people do realize that you have faults, and uh, and yet you've loved us through all of those. And I, I cannot even begin to express our gratitude for that. It was 29 years ago this past Thursday that I received a phone call at about 9.30 at night that changed the entire trajectory of our life. We had been asked to come and serve here. There was a small group uh, of people, and uh, they had voted me in 100%, all five of them. Amen. (laughs) But I want to tell you what, it would have been like 500 people. I'm telling you, it was such a heady time. I mean, I'm, a, I'm now a pastor, not just an evangelist. You know, evangelists back then were kind of like second-class citizens. We were begging to get a notice, but pastors. And now I was one. I didn't even know how to spell it. <laughs> and now here I am. I'm, I'm a pastor. <clears throat> But, you know, it didn't take long for that headiness to evaporate when the reality set in. We were 38 and 37, and I won't tell you who was the oldest. I was. 
I better tell you that because I don't want her leaving here saying, why did you throw me under that bus? 38 and 37. Can you imagine that? 38 and 37. And uh, we were full of vim and vigor, and uh, we were raring to go and all of those good things. And now at this age, some people think I'm full of venom and vinegar, but uh, that's not really true. Uh, but the reality of pastoring kind of kicked in. And, and then I realized that I had a great responsibility, that every time that I came to church and every time I stepped to a pulpit, I had a great responsibility. When I was an evangelist, you could preach a revival. You could stir up all kind of stuff. You could preach about anything and everything. And then you pack up your bags and get in your trailer and leave town and let the pastor deal with it. But now I'm going to have to deal. Whatever I stir up, i got to deal with. And so I realized that... Um, <clears throat> I had a great responsibility. And through the years, I have become more and more aware that I am not a, <clears throat> I'm not a good leader. I'm not by any stretch a great leader. But I want to add an addendum to that. I don't ever want to be a great leader. I want to be a good shepherd. I want to be a good pastor. <clears throat> there's only three times in scripture that the word leader is even used and it has nothing to do with those that handled God's people. Anytime God talked about the man who handled his people, he talked about a shepherd or a pastor and that is what we have <clears throat> endeavored to do. And I have realized that every time I come to this pulpit, <clears throat> every time I step into this, I believe, a very holy and sacred place, that I have an option of what I bring to this pulpit. That <clears throat> I have the option of bringing with me <clears throat> many things. And as a pastor, believe me, you wrestle with what it is that you need to bring I have realized that over my life, I could come with a sword. And I have every right to do that because the Bible speaks of the word as being a two-edged sword. But life gets real bloody when you operate with this in your hand all the time. And if you study scripture, you will find out that this was never intended for God's people. This was intended for his enemy. This was intended for those that would harm his purpose. <clears throat> I could come with this or I could come with this. A sword or a staff. <clears throat> Both of them are very valuable tools when they're used properly. And sometimes it is necessary to use one over the other, but never one that would harm God's people. And so for 29 years, I have always tried to bring this to the pulpit. Amen.
Because it's not my job to be a good leader. It's my job to be a good shepherd. And the reason this is necessary is because God's people sometimes get in places that they need help getting out of. They need something reaching for them, pulling them back out. There are times that things happen in life that overburden you. And it is responsible to the shepherd to help get them on their feet. And happen, it happens in everyone's life. And so when I come to this pulpit, and anyone else that comes to this pulpit, I want them to always come bearing this staff. Because what our ministry is here is to help people. And in our allotted time to make sure we're reaching with the right thing. Because when I point this at you, you feel threatened. Your defenses go up. And I can't tell you that when I first started, I didn't pull this out a time or two. But after I had to clean up the carnage of what was left, I decided I might ought to put that away and let God be the bearer of the sword and just bring this when I come. Because what I want to do in my ministry and what this man wants to do in his ministry is to reach out and help people get back on their feet and be there to always assist them when life turns them upside down and they don't know which way to turn. I want to be that good shepherd that's always there Always reaching for them, always aware of their needs, and always conscious of what my purpose and ministry is for. <clears throat> now, all of that drama and stuff out of the way, I'm not a, a big person to, to use props, but uh, I felt like I needed to share that with you today. Now, I've taken a lot of time before I get to preaching, but I really need to get a feel for where we are right now. And I want to tell you what I sense and what I have sensed in the Spirit over the last few months. That God is trying to take us to something beyond the ordinary and our normal routine of church. And so I want to to find out where you are right now. If something were to happen between now and the time that I close that pushed us beyond our normal allotted time for God to work, are you willing to stay with it? Now listen, what I feel and I sense in the Holy Ghost is going to take us beyond what we're comfortable doing. It's going to push us to places. Not because God's trying to make us feel awkward, but because God's trying to reveal something to us. Something beyond that He's trying to nurture in us a desire for that you and I cannot live with it. And so it will take us beyond the normal protocols that we allot for God. You know, we give him from 10.30 to 12 and God, you better get your job done because I got stuff I got to do. Is there, are, are you really willing? Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity. We're fixing to stand. We're going to pray 
And if you don't have the time to do that today, I don't hold any. I, I don't fault you. I'm not going to judge you. If you if you don't know that you can stay, then you can go ahead and slip out and 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 not worry. But and I'm not promising you that we're going to be here till two o'clock. But I am asking you that if you're going to stay with me the rest of the morning, let's put our sensitivity on high alert and let's kind of feel after where the Spirit of the Lord is trying to lead us and what God is trying to say for us and what God is trying to do for us. And I, I think what God is trying to nurture in us and the question that God needs answering today is who is hungry and ready for a God moment in your life? Who is ready for a God moment? A moment when God prescribes something divine that He wants to inject in your season and show you how great He is. Come on, stand with me right now. God, I need you more than I've ever needed you. And I prayed this week, God... I have asked you to help me to get out of the way, Lord, so that you could be seen and shine in your word today. And if we've ever needed to hear you, if we've ever needed to know what your word was speaking to us, we need to hear it today. I ask you to guide my thoughts and guide my tongue and help me to stay out of your way today while you do the work that you have called us into this place to do. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for your people and the willingness to receive. And a willingness to receive is going to bring a door of opportunity into our life that no man can shut. Praise your name. 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 Oh, God. Uh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If you have a moment, will you open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 9? John the ninth chapter. I want to read beginning with verse number 1. And I want to say again, I cannot tell you how deeply I love this church. All of you, every one of you, and how thankful I am and humbled to be able to be a part of what God is doing. John chapter 9, I'm reading from the King James Version. I may read from another translation just for a little more clarity, but I want to read beginning with verse 1. And the scripture said, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Let me read that from the message paraphrase. He said, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be blind? 
are born blind. And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When the night falls, the work day is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light, and I am the light of the world. God bless you. You may be seated. I believe this church stands on the great threshold today of something extraordinary. I have been sensing it, and I know many of you have been sensing that. I will tell you that over the past several months, and I mean several months, I have personally wrestled with spirits uh, that uh, I, I, at times uh, I felt like they were sent to terrify me or to intimidate me. And many of them, no doubt, uh, had come to threaten me. But I will tell you that I, I've, I'm not afraid of the battles that we are involved in. And I am not afraid of facing uh, whatever it takes for us to move to the next level. But what I have become convinced of is that all the stuff that's happening in life and around our lives right now is nothing more than a distraction. And this is the message that God gave me before I walked out of my office. He said, tell them, don't get so hung up on the distraction that you miss my message. Amen. Now, I have waited in things in the spiritual realm, and maybe this is too much for some of you, but I'm telling you this morning, revival is here, and revival is a part of what we are doing. And after a lot of prayer and soul searching on my own part, I have come to you with a new boldness today and tell you unequivocally, this is not our best hour, but it's going to get better. We think it's our best hour, and I appreciate what God's doing, but this is only a setup for what God has prepared and planned for us even greater in His divine purpose. Now, the portion of Scripture that we have been reading from this morning, it's been in my spirit for months. I don't even remember how far back it was when I first read this, and And this thought started tumbling over in my mind, but it came very forcefully this week. And I I will tell you, and I'm going to be very methodical today. I am conscious of the time, but I will tell you how deeply I have been stirred by the message that uh, it bears. It's such a powerful, powerful message. And my only hope is that I can help you get to the place where you can see it without 
any, anything else. And I guess the thing that I prayed the most for and what I prayed for all day yesterday was, God, help me to not inject myself in what you want to say today. I, I, I don't typically, when I used to preach without notes, I didn't need them. My mind was a lot sharper than it is now, but now I, I just can't hardly get up here without an iPad and notes. And, uh, you know, if, if, and, and I, that's not a bad thing, but I've almost come to the point where I'm going to put the notes aside and I'm just going to follow the Lord because I, I have a tendency, like everybody else, I inject too much of myself into the scenario. And God said, you know what? You need to stop talking and let me talk. And so, I do have notes today, but I'm going to probably get off track here pretty quick. The disciples and Jesus were presumably still in Jerusalem. If you follow through the reading of chapter 8, they were in Jerusalem. And on this particular occasion, they were on their way somewhere. Most likely, they were not in the temple area. But they were in the time between the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Decision or Dedication. And whatever, we don't know all of what transpired in that time. But it was in that time period between the Feast of Tabernacle and the Feast of Dedication that they passed by this particular area of the town. And the Bible said, and I want you to note again how John said what was said. He said, he, Lord, who did sin, this man or his parents, who is blind from his birth? This is the only miracle in the gospel in which the sufferer was suffering from birth. Now, there are two events in the book of Acts, but it's the only recorded miracle in the gospel where the sufferer had been afflicted with the problem all of his life from the very day they were conceived. Now, it appears from the context of the scripture and reading what is spoken that all of them present knew who this man was. They knew his history. They knew he was blind from birth. So they had to have some kind of knowledge of this man and his backstory. And so as they passed by on this day, they had a question. Looking at the man, the disciples assumed that sin was the cause of his condition. Because that was the common belief of that day. Jewish thought in that day was predominantly uh, dominated by the idea, and it is evident in Old Testament scripture, that he would visit the sins of the father upon the third and fourth generation. So in their way of thinking that when you saw somebody afflicted or sick, there had to be a root cause. There had to be somebody to blame for this. There had to be someone they could point their finger back to and say, ah, that's where it started. That's what caused this problem. And here they are in this situation and they are impressed and influenced, listen to me, by the current thinking of the day. 
by the thinking of the culture that we've got to correct, we've got to find what the problem is here. We've got to find what the root cause of this is and what are we going to do about it, we don't know. But we got to pin the blame on somebody. We got to point the finger at somebody. And when they saw him, they chose the opportunity to pose the problem that the Jewish thought was so consumed with, and that was somebody has done wrong. Now, is this man's blindness due to his own sin or to the sin of his parents? The disciples are much like a lot of people today. We're always trying to pin blame on something for what's not right in life. It's her fault. It's his fault. Parents must have done something wrong. Kids must have done something wrong. Baby must... I mean, think about how ludicrous it is. How could this man have sinned anyway if he's blind from the time he came out of the womb? But that's that, that kind of thinking. That's what it gets us to. There's absolutely no reasoning to it because that's not the purpose for why they're even at this moment. And they were about to miss the purpose of that moment because they were more consumed with the problem and they were more consumed with the person than they were with the possibilities of that moment. Now listen to me, Greater Life Church. Hear me today. I have come with a staff. I want to help us understand that what we are facing today in our culture and in our families and in our homes and even in our church is not there for us to go to seed on. It is an opportunity for us to realize that God may be about to do something extraordinary and it takes a moment like this to open our eyes to what is possible. Amen. So who did sin? When you look at a situation like that, there has to be a cause. There has to be a reason. There's got to be somebody. It's never, listen to me, This in 29 years of pastoring, I have never had anybody say, what caused this? But I've heard many times people say, who caused this? And the reason is because we're guilty of the same thing these disciples are. We get locked into a way of thinking that this is, this is, this is the way it is. We get locked into a way of thinking that this has got to be why. And we don't realize that that has nothing to do with the moment that we're in. And what I felt God trying to do to me this week in the past few months is get my eyes off of the things that sometimes consume my attention and help me realize that there's a bigger picture involved here and what God's trying to bring to fruition and what God's trying to bring to the forefront is that big picture, not my picture. Because my picture is, mama did this, daddy did this, he did this. And God said, neither. 
Don't you get frustrated when God throws a monkey wrench in all your well thought out things and you say, oh, it's got to be this way. And God said, not on the least and not in the least. That has nothing to do with this moment. This moment has to do with me. This moment has to do with what I have come to do. This is about my ministry. This is about the reason that I've come into the world. I can get so locked into my way of thinking and my view and my take on problems or the problem and become even arrogant enough to think that that's the only view. Yeah. Don't tell me. Don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's happening in your family. It's happening in your marriage. The reason there's contention. What is contention? Contention is not some uh, adulterous thing that you've done. It's just a difference of opinion. It's a difference of how you view things. You don't see things like your spouse does and she don't see things like you do or he doesn't see things like you do. And yet we can get so locked into our viewpoint that we will contend. And we and contention is the root of strife. And you know what the root of strife is? Having the thought that my way is the highway. That my way is the only way. Surely you see this, brother youth. Surely you see this, honey. Surely you see this. And the fact is, when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it from a different perspective. And I don't see what you see. And if you're not careful, you can get locked in your view and you can get locked in your view and you can get locked in your view and we can miss the God view that he's trying to give us in this moment of time. You see, again, I say, they were consumed with a problem. But God was thinking of possibilities. God was saying, oh, come on. Let's get, let's get your eyes off of your world and get your eyes on my world. I want to tell you the greatest pressure that the church has been under the last few years. And I have felt it. I know Brother Landon has felt it. It is that pressure to perform to our world culture expectation. Because we create all these CEOs and CFOs and FIOs and whatever else IOs. I don't know what all. But we create all of this aura that we're supposed to produce in life. And we're supposed to be this in life. And the reality is... God called us to be shepherds. He called us to be those that help lead his people. And we fail to realize sometimes that the influence of the world is weighing in on our thinking and it's affecting our ability to see what God is trying to do in this hour. It's affecting my ability to receive what God is prepared to do in this moment of time. They saw an obstacle. Jesus saw an opportunity. What you fixate on, what you fixate on will become 
a terminus or a pathway. It will either become a blockage or it will become a door of opportunity. And when God wants to do something great, He always brings His people to a teachable moment. If you really want to know what this story is about, this is the bottom line of this story. You cannot use the world's way of dealing with things in my church. Because all the world's way produces is confusion and chaos because that locks people in their position and then we butt heads. God said you can't operate in my church like that. You can't work with my people like that. When you come into my house, you have to understand that there's a better way. It's not your way. It's not my way. There's a better way. And the better way is what we got to get our eyes on. And the better way is what God is trying to lead us to and what God is trying to produce in our life. So my question this morning is, who was really blind? Who was really blind? Obvious that man's got a problem. But at that particular moment, those disciples, and I know this is an oxymoron, and somebody will correct my English, but they were blinder than the blind. And folks, that is gross darkness when the church becomes blinder than the blind. And what is gross darkness it is when you get so locked into your particular view or your perspective or your attitude or your spirit. That's what creates chaos in home. That's what creates chaos in a church. That's what creates conflict in your life. It's when you get so locked in that you're unmovable and you're a rock and you're not given an inch and God's trying to help move you a little bit and get you out of that rut because he's trying to show you there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. I know how you see life. I know what you think of life. But let me tell you what I think about it. And here's what you and I have to understand. This is his church. Not mine. Not yours. I didn't die for it. I didn't spill the blood for it. I just get to be a participant in it. I get to be a part of it. I get to share in it. I get to enjoy its blessings. Amen. Amen. The disciples created a false narrative with their own thinking. And I'm going to tell you, church, I have, I have walked through this building this week and wrestled in my own mind. I thought, oh God, how many false narratives have I created in my own mind about situations that I came to find out wasn't anything like that. And yet I said something, I hurt somebody, I did something, I copped an attitude. I know what I'm facing. Hey folks, I I got over this the other night. 
I was in here past midnight the other night, so I've got over. Your faces don't bother me right now. I'm looking beyond the face. All right? Now, I'm not saying you're mad at me or angry or anything. I'm just saying I've already got past that. But in my own life, I've wondered how many false scenarios have I created and I've developed. And you know what's the problem in our culture right now? Listen to me. All of, all of you, especially young people that are connected on social media, young adults, we have so many voices, so many sounds coming into our life that many times, because there's so many, we begin to filter out and we only allow around us the voices that replicate our voice that say what we want them to say. Now, I wasn't smart enough to figure this out. It had to be a God moment in my life. But as a young preacher, I made up my mind I was going to connect my life to older men. Not only that, I was going to connect my life to men at both extremes. I've got great friends that are ultra, ultra liberal. I've got great friends that are ultra, ultra conservative. But I made up my mind. Nobody was going to define what I was by what I had connected in my life. I'm not letting somebody tell me what I am. I know what I am. I know who I am. But the reason that I have done that is because I feel like that is the one thing in my life, Brother Starks, that has helped me maintain balance in my life. Because when I look this way, I think, God, I don't want to go that way. And when I look that way, I think, oh God, I don't want to go that way. God, help me stay balanced. Help me stay in the way you want me to live. But the problem in the culture that we live in right now is that we start cutting out of our life all of the voices that say, no, that's not right. And then you get to listening to your own little squawk box. And really, it just parrots. You know, it's, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Oh, I'm, I really need to hurry up. This is in the immune notes, so it's got to be a God thing. We tend to gravitate toward the people that have our worldview. That's true. That's a good thing in most places. But we also tend to gravitate to people that have our own personal view. And so we get people around us say, yeah, that's true. That's right. That's, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And in my life this week, I've been, I've been I, God, how many of these false narratives have I created? Who sinned? It's got to be his parents. I mean, somebody could conceive, I guess, of somebody sinning that's blind. But, I mean, maybe his mother was exposed to some kind of evil spirit when she was carrying him. And so he became possessed. I don't know how that convoluted thought can even go. But the fact is... There was a contention going on there in the minds of men as to the cause of this problem. And the Lord said, you're missing the whole point. The point is not whose fault it is. The point is I've got an opportunity to do something divine right now. I've got an opportunity to show out. I've got an opportunity to show the world. I just wonder today 
I wonder in our lives what God is waiting on us to get a bigger picture of so that he can have a divine moment in our life. I wonder today how many times God has waited on me while I'm contending for my view to get me to that place where I could see a better way. That's what I've been praying for this week and last week and the week before God. Help us to find the right path. Help us to find the right words. Help us to know the right things to say. Let me never use the pulpit as a bully station. Let me never use it as a place, Lord, to cut and dice and slice. Let me use it as a place of reaching, trying to pull back in, helping get people back up on their feet, nurturing people, putting something beside their life that gives value and worth to who they are when the world has told them that they are worthless and no account. That's the purpose of the church is to come together and bind our efforts in one one cause and one purpose and realize that there's a better way. Somebody say that with me. There's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. Amen. I'm going to close I wonder today if all of us realize that if we're going to find the better way, we're going to have to give up our way. And who in this building today is willing to humble themselves for the betterment of your family? for the betterment of your marriage or the betterment of your church or the betterment of your future? How many are willing to humble yourself and say, God, I thought I understood, I thought I knew, but I I am so limited in what I can see. I'm asking you to help me get the bigger picture. Help me understand that there's a better way. There's a better path. There's a better purpose. There's a better plan. You have a better option for me than what I have boxed myself into. I can get myself so boxed in in life that I can't get out of the own corner that I've created. And I'm the one that did it to myself. And so I'm asking God, help me, God, to understand there's a better way. There's a way out of this. There's a way through this. There's a way over this. There's a way beyond this. Amen, amen. Stand with me, if you will. The fallacy of my own blinded thinking sometimes is that I can get fixated on what I think and try to solve it by the way I think and miss a God act, a God moment. I love how the NET translation said that it was an opportunity for God to act. I wonder how many times God has been ready to act in our life, to heal a hurt, to bind up a wound, to restore a wayward person, to cleanse your mind of all of that stuff that so often clutters the mind. How many of us would have the courage today to humble ourselves before him and say, God, 
I want you to wash my mind. I want you to cleanse my thoughts, my heart, my attitude, my spirit. God, whatever I have contributed to the problems in my own life or my family's life or in my marriage or on my job or whatever, Lord, whatever part I've played, help me, God, to extract myself because there's a God moment. God's wanting to teach us there's a better way. There's, there's something here that you're not seeing. That's, that's not the question to ask. Amen. Is there room in your life for that kind of humbling? Is there room in your life for that kind of brokenness and that kind of humility? Amen. I'm asking this church today, listen to me. This is our 29th year, and I believe it is going to be our greatest year ever. I believe that. I don't have to have you buying in right now. Maybe somewhere along the line you will, but this is going to be our greatest year. I already know that. I know that. Now I'm going to ask you, are you interested in a better way? If you are, then here's what we need to do today. We need to stretch our hands out as if we hold our way in our hand and open it and let our way go and say, God, I want your way. I want to know your way. I want to know your plan. I want to know your purpose. God, today, this is your moment, God. This is your moment, Lord, in my life. I ask you, I'm praying, I'm praying God. I'm, I'm requesting today, God, that you would cleanse my mind. Help me, God, to realize that there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's greater, there's greater, there's greater. Lord, there's a better way. There are better things that you want to do and produce in my life. There are better things that you want to bring to pass. And I'm not going to be limited any longer by my own way of thinking. I'm not going to be hindered anymore, Lord, by my own ideologies and my own perceptions, Lord. I want you to help me be freed so that I can look beyond, Lord. That I can look beyond. Hallelujah. Oh, God, today. today, today, today. Hallelujah. 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 Would you keep talking to God? Would you keep talking to the Lord? Amen. Would you keep talking to the Lord? I'm trying to help somebody see there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. I'm not going to